Sure. Yeah, you guys are more awake. You should be a little ready, more ready, right? Uh, the 8.30 was louder. Uh, happy Easter. Happy Easter. There we go. You know, it's really fun today. I'm meeting uh, little humans that didn't exist uh, two years ago before COVID. Babies, you know, born that uh, mom and dad haven't been able to come back until today since COVID and meeting children who used to be children who are now teenagers. It's amazing to see someone of you back. It's great to have you today. And it's a curious thought. Like, what is Easter really about? I mean, is it about the eggs? Is it about the bunny? Is it about the donut wall? I love that donut wall. That may be the greatest innovation we've ever introduced, right? Is it about the family photos? Is it about the brunch? Or is it about Jesus? And even Easter, is it derived from some sort of myth about resurrection or a pagan celebration celebrating spring equinox? Or is it some marketing conspiracy between Hallmark, Nestle chocolate, and the marshmallow peeps people? Is it about Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection? Now, to some, it seems as mythical as Easter Bunny or any superhero. Some of you might be naturally skeptical. Our lead pastor is a very analytical person, an engineer by trade, and he said as a kid that he was always having trouble with superheroes like Tarzan. Why doesn't Tarzan have a beard, right? He's in the jungle, and yet he's always clean-shaven. Or Superman, why would Superman duck when a gun is thrown at him, even though a bullet could not penetrate him? Deep questions, right, that children ask often. There's a guy in my life group a few years back who just kind of in the middle of a conversation said, well, we all know that the story of Jesus is just based on ancient mythologies. And everybody in my group looked at me. <laughs> uh, he said, we all know, and, and there, most of us in that group did not have that same thought. And, you know, this is a guy new to the group. I didn't want to argue with him, and, and I didn't want to embarrass him. And so I just said, you know what? I've never heard that, which I hadn't heard that. And I said, Look, give me a week, and let's, let me do some investigating. And you investigate, I'll investigate, and we'll talk more next week. And when you start to read some of these stories of Osiris and Horus and Dionysus and Ganesh, you start to realize these are incredibly fantastical, mythological, like heads removed and replaced by an elephant or everything, the person torn in part, but their heart started beating and life became again. It was not really like Jesus' story at all. Here's the thing. If you're here and you're here and you're skeptical, you should know this is a place where we welcome you. Doubts and doubters are welcome. But I want to encourage you to have an open heart and open mind. No one wants to be closed-minded. Listen to what this promise is for us in the scriptures from God. If you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek with all your heart and with all your soul. See, the problem is many of us don't seek God. We, we believe in Jesus, and we only think about that when someone dies. But see, Jesus came that we might truly live and some of us get caught up in myths and conspiracies. We believe other things that we add to. But Jesus was not a mythical superhero, but a very real historical person. In fact, the superhero myths are echoes of his true story. The hero who dies 
is betrayed and comes back again. I mean, even in Marvel, Loki betrays Thor, Thor dies, but he comes back to life because you can't have a Marvel movie without Chris Hemsworth, right? Wherever you may be, I just want you to open your heart and open your mind and ask yourself, what if? What if this is really true? What if Jesus truly did die on the cross and rise from the dead? How will that affect your life? So this morning, as I retell the story of Easter and its true history, keep an open heart and open mind. Let me take you back to AD 32. At this point, Jesus has traveled for three and a half years throughout Israel. He's teaching, he's healing, he's feeding, he's doing miraculous things, he's loving the outcasts, and it's caused an uproar in Israel. No historians doubt that. The religious leaders wanted more power and prestige, and now Jesus was inviting everyone to have a relationship with God. Suddenly, their power was in jeopardy, and then Jesus would speak boldly to them. He would call them hypocrites. The religious leaders in front of all the people, they did not like that, by the way. But when he did that, he was speaking to them in a way that some of them actually heard and understood. But Josephus, a Roman historian who's Jewish, wrote in the first century, confirming the historicity of Jesus. This is from an Arabic translation of Josephus. So there's no Christian tampering. This is what he wrote in A.D. 100 or so. At this time, there was a wise man who was called Jesus, and his conduct was good, and he was known to the virtuous. And many people from among the Jews and the other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die. And those who had become his disciples reported that he had appeared to them three days after his crucifixion and that he was alive. Accordingly, he was perhaps the Messiah concerning whom the prophets have recounted. This Arabic version from the 10th century of Josephus telling for centuries the story outside of the scriptures that the Bible has been saying all along. His followers said they saw Jesus alive. And the secular historian said, no, that's true. That is what they were saying. So back to 2,000 years ago, it's Passover in Israel. We've been talking about in the series, the passion, one week that changed everything, the one week leading up to Easter Sunday is called the passion. We think of passion as, I'm passionate about donut walls, right? But really, the word passion is related to the suffering and crucifixion of Jesus. Passion is about what you're willing to die for. As we saw last week, Jesus shared the Passover meal in the upper room with the disciples. He warned them, one of you will betray me. And then Judas got up. Some of them assumed because he's the treasurer, he's on his way to book a room for them not realizing he was actually on his way to betray Jesus. Then Jesus takes them down to the Garden of Gethsemane. You have to remember that Jesus is the perfect representation of God in the human flesh, but he was human. And so when he's in that garden and he's aware of what's to come, the suffering he's about to experience, he prays, Father, take this cup, this suffering, but not my will, your be done. Your will be done. So now it's 2.30 in the morning. The disciples kept falling asleep even as he asked them to pray. And a band of temple guards with the Pharisees marched into the garden led by Judas. Luke 22. Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? 
When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Have you ever wondered why he cut off his ear? I See, I don't think he meant to cut off his ear. I think he was going for the head and the guy ducked. And so it caught his ear. Good thing for that servant that Peter was not a swordsman, but a fisherman. But you know how cool would it have been had he cut off his head and then Jesus picked it up and put it back on? That would have been an epic moment, right? But just as miraculous, maybe even more so, Jesus demonstrated love for his enemy. The group that had come to arrest him, although he had done nothing, walking with the man who betrayed him with a kiss, he took the ear and he healed the man. See, Jesus taught to love our neighbor and to love our enemy. He says this in Matthew 26, put your sword back in its place. Jesus said to Peter, do you think I cannot call him my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? See, Jesus was willing to go on this journey to the cross. It was his choice. He was a willing sacrifice. And he became the final Passover sacrifice to bring justice to earth. All wrongs must be paid for, accounted for. See, that's justice. And we demand justice. We want justice. We don't like injustice. We want things to be made right except when we're the guilty ones. Then we want mercy. But what's beautiful in this moment, what you see, Jesus is saying, it's, it's not violence that will bring my kingdom other than the violence that's done against me. See, I wonder, have you ever violated your own conscience? You, you knew there was something you did not want to do, and yet you did it. Like you'd already had one donut off that donut wall. And just because there's a second service doesn't mean you should have a second donut. For example, and I will not have a third, I promise. I say to you all, keep me accountable. But we can't even live up to our own standard, much less live up to the standard of God. But here's the beautiful thing. Jesus went to the cross for you and me. See, he willingly gave his life dying on the cross. And it was on the cross that all the sins of humanity, everything that's ever been done, all the evil, all the hatred was placed on him. All the evil that had ever been done or ever will be done. Jesus brought justice. He made things right by taking upon himself that justice, dying in our place. Justice and yet mercy at the exact same time. It's 3.30 now, Passion Week, Friday morning. Jesus goes from the garden and being betrayed to now locked in a jail, which is really a cave. It's under the palace where the Sanhedrin, the Jewish rulers met. And Jesus is brought before Caiaphas, the high priest. He says this, if you are the Messiah, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I asked you, you would not answer. But from now on, the son of man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. Why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. Blasphemy. The high priest knew Jesus was claiming to be God. If you've ever heard that Jesus never claimed to be God, they haven't actually looked at what Jesus said. 
He referred to himself as the son of man, which is the Messiah, as Daniel said, 500 years prior, Daniel chapter seven. In my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days, which is God, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. See, Daniel prophesied. He predicted that one day there would be a human being who would be worthy of worship. And then we discover his name is Jesus. See, Jesus is worshiped as God by people all around the world today. And that was foretold, that this son of man would be loved by all nations. But some of us still struggle to believe it. We don't really want to seek. We want to preserve our own sovereign rule and power. Just as the Pharisees didn't like their plans being disrupted. But see, we shouldn't just think about Jesus when someone dies. He gives us great hope in life after death as demonstrated on that first Easter. But we should choose Jesus and follow after him because he shows us how to really live. Now it's Passion Week, 6 a.m. on Friday. They march Jesus from the high priest to Pilate, the governor of Rome, the Roman governor. They're requesting execution. Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, you have said so. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner. Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. One of the things we can learn from this is Husbands, listen to your wives, right? See, God warned Pilate through his wife's vivid dream, don't kill this innocent man. But the peer pressure was too strong. And so Pilate goes along with the crowd. See, here's the reality. Sometimes God gives us guidance. Sometimes he warns us. Sometimes he gives us opportunities. But he always gives us free will. We get to choose whether or not we will listen to his guidance, his warnings, or heed these opportunities. We can choose to ignore him or trust him. See, I believe that Pilate had the option. He could have opted out and and he would not have been guilty of what was still going to happen. Someone would have made sure Jesus was crucified. He could have truly washed his hands, truly been innocent, but instead he went along with the crowd. The same crowd that was cheering for him on Sunday. Here he is, Hosanna, the son of, The king is here. Now on Friday, we're chanting and screaming out, crucify him. Because they had wanted a political savior, someone to upend the Roman oppression. But instead, Jesus willingly gave his life dying on the cross. And so 8 a.m. Friday, Pilate hands Jesus over to the Roman soldiers who torture him. What evil moves within people to torture another? Possessed by evil, they whip Jesus with a leather strip, a cat of nine tails. It's embedded with glass and nails, and it rips him open. The passion of the Christ is brutally accurate, too hard to even watch. But it was foretold in Isaiah 52, 
and 53. Go read that passage. It's fascinating. Written 700 years before Jesus. It says this in Isaiah 52, 14. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations. Many my Jewish friends who now follow Jesus, they read this Jewish passage, this Hebrew passage from their scriptures and are amazed as they read the story of Jesus written 700 years before. Talking of the Messiah will come as a suffering servant. See, many of the religious leaders wanted the Messiah to come and to take everybody out, They're all their enemies, but instead he came and he said, turn your other cheek. And love your enemies. See, God loves all nations. That's why he willingly did this. And after the torture, it says that Jesus had to carry his own cross through Jerusalem up to the hill known as Golgotha. It looked like a skull. But he'd been beaten so badly that he couldn't make it. Eyewitnesses say that a man from Africa who'd come to worship Yahweh named Simon of Cyrene helped Jesus carry his cross up the hill. Now 9 a.m., on Friday, they pound the nails through his hands and his feet to the cross. Jesus cries out, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divide up his clothes by casting lots. Who except for God could forgive such evil? Some might say, well, these prophecies were, were written after Jesus, but we actually have proof. We found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, Isaiah from before, radiocarbon dating, saying before Jesus, these were written. Others saying, well, maybe Jesus intentionally fulfilled these prophecies. How do you intentionally get tortured and nailed to a cross? And one of the more remarkable passages in the scriptures, Psalm 22, written a thousand years before Jesus. King David had a moment where he experienced and wrote down what it would be like for the suffering servant to give his life. And Jesus quotes from that. That's why he says on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Everyone listening would have known exactly what he was doing. He was quoting Psalm 22, but he had been beaten so badly. He'd been crucified to a cross. He couldn't continue saying the Psalm, but they knew it. And immediately some of them began to realize he's the one. This is what God said a thousand years ago. Psalm 22 continues. It says this, a band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. See, Jesus did this for you and for me, for people from every nation. And how did David describe Roman crucifixion hundreds of years before it was invented? See, God foretold this was the way he would come and rescue us. Jesus was crucified. 700 years before Jesus, it says this in Isaiah, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
in the Jewish Talmud, which is outside of the Bible, Jewish leaders wrote this about Jesus. On the eve of Passover, they hanged Yeshu, which is the Hebrew name for Jesus. And an announcer went out. He is going to be stoned because he practiced sorcery and enticed and led Israel astray. See, the religious leaders could not deny Jesus existed, and they could not deny that he was doing the miraculous, so they referred to it as sorcery. Back to the passion on that good Friday, it was noon, and darkness covered the earth as Jesus hangs on the cross for our sins. Luke 23 It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon for the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. Amos, the prophet, 750 years before Jesus wrote, in that day, declares the sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will make that time like mourning for an only son. This was the day that changed the world. We call it Good Friday because our God took on evil for us. Skeptics may say there's no evidence of darkness in the middle of the day, but actually there are two Roman historians named Phlegon and Talus who are cited in four other works from the 200 saying this, Phlegon records that during the reign of Tiberius Caesar, there was a complete solar eclipse at full moon from the sixth to the ninth hour. That's noon to 3 p.m. our time. But it was Passover. If you've ever wondered why Easter moves around on the calendar, it's because it follows Passover, which is always during a full moon. You can't have an eclipse of the sun during a full moon, and yet history, historical records confirmed that God did a miracle. It's dark, mourning the loss of the one true king. Right before Jesus died, one of the criminals hanging with Jesus said, if you're the Messiah, prove it. Get us all down from these crosses. And Jesus said nothing. The other criminal said, we deserve this. He doesn't. Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. Jesus promised Today, you will be with me in paradise. See, God doesn't respond to our demands to prove himself, but he always responds when we have an open and willing heart. See, God gives us freedom, and he's removed all the barriers between you and me but one, and that's our pride. All that keeps us from knowing the love, the unconditional love, the goodness of God, the peace that he gives is our unwillingness to surrender our hearts to him. And we want to do it our own way. We want to learn the hard way. When in reality, all we have to do is just simply say this, Jesus, forgive me. I need what you did on the cross to count for me. Lead me. If you're here today and you've never made that decision, you can begin a relationship with God through Jesus even now. Just pray that in your own heart. Jesus, forgive me. Lead me. I follow you. Maybe you're here and you have a relationship with God, but you've wandered. You've been busy, maybe doing even good things. During the song, you can reconnect your heart to him. But listen to these lyrics and connect with Jesus in this moment. 
went home When death had claimed its victory The king of all had given up his life The darkest day in history Hill on a cross they made for sinners For every curse his blood atoned One final breath and it was finished But not the end we could have known For the earth
earlier service, I was watching the interpreter for American Sign Language. I don't know if you know, Jesus in sign language is like this. You point at the holes in his hand. The week of passion, it's dusk, it's Passover on Friday. And the Romans had agreed with the Jewish leaders they would not leave any crucified bodies hanging over Passover. So they broke the legs of the two criminals to speed up their death. But John tells us in chapter 19, but when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear. Bringing a sudden flow of blood and water, the man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. See, John could not have realized the medical significance of what he reported in that moment. See, Jesus had not died of crucifixion, but of heart failure. It was foretold a thousand years before Jesus in Psalm 22. David wrote, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It is melted within me. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. David not only describes the suffering servant, the Messiah's crucifixion, but a heart turning to wax. That's heart failure. Cardiologists tell us a clear pericardial fluid builds up around the heart during heart failure. So when John writes that the blood was mixed with clear fluid-like water, he's describing a broken heart. Jesus died of a broken heart, paying for our wrongs. As if the weight of all our sin and shame and hatred was too much for him to bear. Meanwhile, Joseph of Arimathea, one of the Pharisees, one of those that were rebuked, one of the religious leaders, disagreed with the Sanhedrin's decision, asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. And along with Nicodemus, they prepared his body for burial, laying him in a, his family tomb. See, some Pharisees like Joseph, even the religious leaders, were truly seeking the kingdom of God. And as we said earlier, all who seek will find him. And what we discover is that Jesus was the final Passover sacrificial lamb. See, for 1,500 years, the Jewish people would have a, a lamb, an unblemished lamb sacrificed at the temple for all the sins of the previous year. Now Jesus was paying for the sins of humanity for all time. And within a generation, the temple, as prophesied by Jesus, was destroyed. And it's never been rebuilt. In AD 70, and ever since, there's never been a sacrificial lamb at the temple. See, in the spiritual realm, what was happening is God forgives past, present, and future because of what Jesus did on the cross. When we connect our faith to him, then what he did on the cross counts for us. We don't have to live under the guilt, the shame, the condemnation. God forgives and can even help us forgive ourselves. And now it's Sunday morning. Three days go by, the way the Jews would count, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, three days. Jesus had been in the tomb, and now Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, were preparing their burial spices to take to the tomb. But something amazing happened. 
Luke 24, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. The women were ecstatic. They ran back to tell the men. But Mary Magdalene stood beside the tomb weeping. And when she turned, she saw a man she thought was a gardener. Why are you crying, he asked. Where have you put his body? Then Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned to him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. She recognized him. Jesus said, go to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. So Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. Now it's interesting, she thought he was a gardener. You cannot help but think of the new Eden that Jesus had created in that moment. Life after death. And to choose Mary to reveal himself to, as the first person on the planet to see that Jesus was alive. Mary had been an immoral woman, someone that he had healed. She became the first eyewitness. And Matthew says that the other women ran back and Jesus met them too. Matthew 28, Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. But unfortunately, none of the men believed the women. Another lesson we can learn today. In a patriarchal society, a woman's testimony was not even good in court. So why would they invent a resurrection story and put women as the first eyewitnesses? The only reason they would do that is because that's what happened. God chose women as his first eyewitnesses, just as God always chooses to do things that reverse the broken, sinful ways of humanity, to humble the proud, to lift up the marginalized. So Peter and John run to the tomb, and they too find it empty. The burial burial clothes are there, the shroud, all rolled up to the side, almost like Jesus put it there so they would notice. And they went back and told the disciples, but some of them had thought someone had stolen the body. Later that afternoon, two of Jesus' followers were walking on a road to Emmaus, and they were joined by a stranger who asked them why they were so sad. One of the disciples, Cleopas, said, are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know about Jesus' crucifixion, how we had hoped he was the Messiah, but instead he was crucified? The stranger said in Luke 24, you foolish people, wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Way more than I can go into our time here. He showed them things like this, Isaiah 53. Though the Lord makes the Messiah's life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. 700 years before, Isaiah wrote that the suffering servant, the Messiah would be killed, would die, and yet would see the light of life. He would be raised from the dead. Sunday night, the 11 disciples are hiding behind closed doors. They're not believing. They're still fearful of the Romans. Then Cleopas and Simon run back 
The women were right. He is risen. We have seen the Lord. But Thomas wasn't there. And Thomas, it says this in John 20, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said, peace be with you. As the father sent me, I am sending you. They were overjoyed. Jesus was alive. He shared a meal with them. They hugged and he told them, gather all my followers and meet me in Galilee. But Thomas, who wasn't there, heard about this and didn't believe it. This is impossible. Unless I put my own fingers in the holes in his flesh, I can't believe. Eight days later, Thomas was with them and Jesus appeared again. Thomas, he said, touch the holes in my hands, the wound in my side, and stop doubting. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you now believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believe. The band's going to come up and lead us in a medley of a couple songs. And as they do that, I, I want to just ask you, is there ever going to be enough evidence for you to trust more fully? I mean, Jesus appeared to over 500 eyewitnesses. He was seen alive. And secular historians agree that these disciples would never recant they would willingly die themselves, saying up until their final breath that Jesus is alive. We saw him killed, and now he's alive. In fact, Thomas went all the way to India to tell the people there that Jesus was alive. It changed them. Historians agree that James, Jesus' own brother, believed and led the Jerusalem church. How could he change to believe his brother was the Messiah unless he saw him alive from the dead. How about you? Where are you with Jesus? Are you still doubting like Thomas? If you are, that's, that's an okay place to be. Just lean into your doubts. Ask God to show you how real he is. And you will be amazed when he does. Have an open heart an open mind to seek after him. And if you've chosen today to follow after Jesus, would you let us know? Just fill out that connect card and the QR code right in front of you or at the connect spot. We want to help you in your journey. And if you already follow Jesus, are you allowing Jesus, the fact that he's alive, to change you even now? Are you allowing him to guide you and lead you into a new life, a holy life, a more pure life? Are you allowing him to use you to bring life and faith to those around you? Are you serving others with others? See, it's on this day that we celebrate that Jesus is alive and we enjoy every day because of his life. I want to teach you something. Some of you may know this. In fact, let me just hear you. If you know this, just you'll know exactly what to do. He is risen. So if you hear someone say, he is risen, your response is, he is risen indeed. So now that you all know it, let's try it together. He is risen. He is risen. Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you are alive. Death could not defeat you. Not only do you live, but your spirit comes to live within us whenever we surrender our life and heart to you. God, would you help each and every one of us, even during this song, reconnect with you, connect with you for the first time. Would you show us how to live the life you have for us, that we would fully engage with you 
every day that we'd experience more of your peace and your love and your joy and we would extend that to others around us. So God, hear our prayer, our desire, even as we sing together. In Jesus' name.